Welcome to the Indie Spot. Today is Tuesday, May 30th, 2017, and I have the pleasure of welcoming the Doozies in the home studio today. So, hi guys. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hey. hey. So, uh, why don't you guys introduce yourselves and give us a little piece of information, one thing that you think is relevant to you or the role you play in the band. Uh, I'm Josh. I play in the Doozies. I have uh, since we started, and um, I guess the most important Thing I could say about me being the band is I am a full third of this band <laughs> and will be for the next foreseeable future. I'm John Sloan. I play the upright bass. I've had the pleasure of playing with these guys for the past year and I also enjoyed engineering and mixing the record called Shells coming soon. Very nice. Uh, my name is Sean Battles. Uh, I am also uh, one third of the band. Um, and uh, my role, rather than playing uh, the one thing, is I play all the bells and whistles. So uh, if the song needs a banjo or a mandolin or a fiddle or a something, I'm, uh, I'm that guy. All right, so uh, we're going to go back in time a little. Um, so my understanding is that the story of the Doozies began somewhere around 2011, 2012 or so with Josh and the release of his first album, The Perfect Flaw. Is that right, Josh? That's right, Shannon. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that process and what, um, uh, how that precipitated the, the beginning of the disease. Okay, uh, I guess when I was younger, and uh, nothing has changed since now that I'm older, but uh, I like all genres of music. Um, I'm a fan of music in all its forms. And The Perfect Flaw is my endeavor into many different genres of music and uh, being naive enough as a young person to do anything I wanted in front of a microphone and uh, and it stands as it is now <laughs> but uh, it's a very eclectic album that uh, saw me finding what genre I was interested in and, and which genre I was best at performing um, which features Sean uh, on violin and um, also um, my partner Kim Crawford uh, on vocals and a few I think two songs and I think it really informed me about uh, what genres we were best at and, and uh, what genres we pursued in the following years alright so there was uh, another album that came out before Shelves or sorry Shelves the, uh, the self-titled album when did that one come out? that one was three years ago I think uh, that that album was much more country influenced as well as maritime music influenced and was much more uh, felt at home while we were playing it live and we toured that album extensively and i'm i'm happy still to listen to that record where sometimes when i listen to the perfect fly i kind of shudder a little bit i don't know what do you think sean <laughs> there are some moments um, yeah, I'd say The Perfect Flaw was, uh, I mean, yeah, everything you said was pretty accurate. It was uh, definitely the testing ground for a lot of, a lot of ideas. There's, uh, you know, everything from, you know, slow ballad to, you know, almost hip hop to just, you know, just trying stuff out to see what could be done with what we had at the time. And a little more on Josh's end than mine. I, at the time, I was sort of coming in here and there, like, you know, I'd get a call that says, you know, you know, they'd be saying like, "We need fiddle on this," or it'd be really cool if we had this for this song. 
So I'd go in for an afternoon or maybe an evening, uh, whereas Josh was sort of like living the project for a little while on his way to getting it finished. And uh, with the Doozies not yet an official band, yeah. I wasn't quite like, you know, like 50% or a third or anything. I was more like a session guy at the time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't think like any if it, yeah, I'm pretty sure no money changed hands. It was more like, hey, just let me know what you need when. Yeah. And then that sort of precipitated us sort of creating together later on. The, lyrically, too, the the Doozies record is much more cohesive and uh, a, a, a stronger lyrical effort than The Perfect Flaw is uh, based on, uh, you know, traditional music, which is something that uh, me as a songwriter, I, I really adhere to. And I don't think when you say traditional music, it has to adhere to anything that's supposed to mean nostalgia or anything like that. I think there can be great modern day, right now, contemporary, traditional music. Um, and, and it sounds great. So I think the Doozies record took a step, a giant step towards that. It seems to me that record felt more like a statement from a band as opposed to like scattered writings on paper from maybe a teenager at the time yeah. a young person anyway yeah, it's not maybe a teenager it was a teenager it's definitely a teenager <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. so then last year with the addition of John to the doozies it became a, uh, a full trio and a real and I guess that is what you guys consider well, the before, beginning the, like, uh, the you, official beginning I suppose of the doozies absolutely and before I, I let John speak on what, what it was like to come into <laughs> the storm I'd just like to to premise it by saying like being in a duo is is incredibly hard because when you get in a disagreement or a discussion about anything you only just talk to one other person so you only have the the two sides to the argument and it's not necessarily that everybody thinks they're right but you either look at the other person's side or your side and you have no objective third person's view and me and Sean uh, Sean I don't know if you I'm pretty sure you agree with me, but like once we got John and we had this objective person to say like, wow, you guys are both wrong or you guys are, <laughs> yeah. you guys are both right or, you know, and it, it was, it was it's usually a, not one or the other. It's yes. like, you're both kind of right. And you're both kind of wrong. Yeah. And here's why. Well, it yeah. certainly <laughs> brought balance though. It certainly like leveled it out because before it was a teeter totter and, uh, that was it. It was just uh, one person up, one person down. If anything went wrong, whereas now John's sort of someone who can just grab the whole teeter-totter and hold us both in the same level and go, all right, let's talk about this like humans. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more um, balanced. And it's not that Josh and I like argued a lot. It's just that there were very few little bumps along the way. But when they happened, I mean, it was very hard just to sort of like figure out what should we do because we both believe something different. Yeah. And we, we both always acknowledged our human failures yeah <laughs> and our sometimes inability, a bit too much because we're musicians right too. <laughs> and our inability to find the the right path and three is such a bigger number than two it's one more than two uh, which is 150 like, <laughs> percent that's what it was we just added yeah. another 50 percent it just made a big difference and uh, i think when you listen to the arrangements especially on shells which is our new record um you'll hear that in the music it was a very deliberate decisions like we spent hours deliberating about this section of this song okay do we add a bridge in this song oh this song needs a main riff like stuff like that hmm. yeah 
It's it's definitely a deliberate effort. But nothing so, happened by accident. On the that writing record. process in general became much more collaborative and rewarding. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 All right. That's it was it was like probably the better part of six months that we spent writing that album. Yeah, the self-titled album was just like Josh's songs, and then I helped arrange a few. I had I had my hand in the arrangement for maybe about three or four of them, even though as they were sort of being tested on stage, I was trying new things all the time. But we weren't sitting down and deliberating like what chord should be the first chord of the chorus or things like that. It was more what instrument should we use or should we have drums on this or not. Whereas on this last album, every time Josh had like a song that sort of was kind of a thing, he would bring it to us and then we'd just start playing it and changing it and modifying it. And so the songs really reflect all of us rather than just one with a couple sprinkles of this and that, you know. Breakfast is a perfect, perfect example of that. Because like the the second verse was originally the same as the first verse. Yep. But we're like we decided that this song is too much of the same. It's too similar to another song. We need to change it. Yep. So it, it took a couple weeks to narrow down a chord progression. But what ended up being the second verse was a chord progression that was developed by committee. Like there was no one person that says this is my idea. It was like you came up with an idea to modify it. I came up with an idea to make that even better. Then the original idea gets weighed against that idea, and we end up with what is now on the album. Yep. Very cool. So you're, we're going to get a preview on Benny's for, uh, for our listeners. Um, why don't you guys tell me uh, a little bit about that song? Was there a story behind it? Josh can probably weigh in a bit on the lyrical content, considering Sean and I are probably Definitely. more focused on the music than that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, f- first of all, when we told you in the, the pre-production for this interview, um, the song is actually called Benny's Homegrown in its full title which um, you wouldn't have known until right now because we just call it Benny's. But, um, Short forms, right? Yeah. 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 The, the song is titled after uh, one of my best friends uh, and how last year I bought uh, a clone of marijuana off his mom and that's tried to grow it and that I just found the communal, the communality of that to be so amazing. How she just gave us the clone and how um, it sat in my backyard. And when I sat in my backyard, it looked at at the weed, and I don't even really smoke weed anymore. I've never seen you smoke weed. Yeah, yeah. but I I love everything about it and how <laughs> when people smoke joints, they pass it around and like it's it's. It's a community drug, unlike so many drugs that are around today. Even I don't even feel comfortable calling weed a drug, but I compared, you know, marijuana to. Uh, I have a lot of friends who can play three or four chords on a guitar, but they can't play well enough to entertain an entire crowd. But if you put a campfire in front of them, they're suddenly willing to sing songs, and they they know how to play guitar and sing at the same time. So I, I compared the the joint uh, to a guitar, an old guitar that I have, an old Fender. And uh, it also stems the writing from uh, some dark times that I had and how we can be so stupid as young people and being old enough, uh, you know, 20, 20, what are your 20s? You should know better. Your parents have taught you, but you're out of you're out of the house. You should know better, and you still keep making mistakes. <laughs> That's a lifelong process, my friend. 
Yes. Yeah. Permanent studenthood, right? You're yeah. always learning. All right, so um, we're going to give our listeners a preview of that. So uh, Excellent. One, two, three, four.
Welcome back. That was uh, Benny's Homegrown from the Doozy's latest release, Shells. That release uh, with the whole album was recorded at Chalet Studios in Durham Region back in February, right? Yeah. Yep. yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, why don't you guys tell us a little of how that process went for you? Well, I, I think I'd like to go back to the, the, the original album we recorded at Chalet, which was the Doozy's uh, self-titled album, which was recorded in four full days of sunshine. And this time we recorded in a three-day snowstorm, um, which really, I think, when you're isolated in a space and there's just nothing but Canadian winter around you, it really affects you emotionally, whether you want it to or not. And I tried to let that experience affect me uh, big time. I think something worthy of note, not to interrupt you, but mm -hmm. just... Um, Chalet Recording Studios, uh, that area, you don't just go in each morning, like from your house. You live there. Yeah. yeah. So that was the difference, is that we were able to actually like have beds there, have sort of a bedroom set up. So like the idea of the summer versus the winter sort of affecting you and the music is far much more pronounced yeah. because you live in it. Like you're there every day, you wake up, you brew coffee right beside where you record your tracks. Yeah. And it's um, a very immersive process. Uh, anyways, completely you, immersed. Yeah, in the feel studio. free to. Sorry, continue. I just wanted to make no, sure no. that people understood that because a lot of recording studios, you just you get in by ten, you leave by nine, that that's kind it. of thing. And that's and it. I think, that, I, I think that's why Justin Vernon's album uh, from two thousand eight was like one of the best albums out there, as yeah. well for that same reason. Yeah, just kind of in the you middle live of with Wisconsin your, right, That's winter, right. So you get you yeah, you live with the people you're playing with. That's right, right. and yeah. you get a sense of cohesiveness to the album because. Literally, you can't see anything but trees out the windows of chalet trees and, and ice yeah and so <laughs> ice covered trees you're there and um i mean it helps a lot that the owners of the studio are the some of the most hospitable people i've ever met absolutely oh, they're newbies out of province and they're not newbie but man newfoundlanders oh, can learn a thing or two um dave chester wow. and his wife she are the most hospitable yes. people loveliest yes. humans so if you're listening to the chalet oh. studio is we love you for you <laughs> yeah but we really um, do. what we're trying to say is that uh for the album we were trying to make i think it was the perfect studio for us in that uh it was definitely the just the right amount of technology, everything that we needed to be captured, yep. and uh, we utilized it in the way that we needed. With that space, I mean, they have beautiful microphones and beautiful preamps and all this outboard gear. But to me, the best part is that room. When you get three like-minded individuals in that room and they're playing music together, there's a kind of magic that happens. Like. I don't know if Getty Lee's sweat has soaked into the floor or what it, what it is, but there's some kind of awesome mojo that happens. You step into the room and you feel different. It, yeah. it heightens the way you play and the way you feel. I agree completely. I think, um, I think some of that has to do with the fact that not only is the room absolutely gorgeously designed, like, I mean, the acoustics resonate beautifully in there, but they also have, um, it's like... Everywhere you look in that room, other than the one wall, which is a beautiful stone fireplace, <laughs> it's just all windows. So when That's you're great. playing in the summer or you're playing in the winter or whatever it is, you can just, in between takes, just sort of like still hold your instrument and just look around, but there's inspiration everywhere. You know, it, it's just an absolutely beautiful space, yeah. uh, both inside and outside of that room. Absolutely. And did you uh, did you have other contributors to the album? We did. Um, we had um, our dear friend of ours uh, who's played on many a project, including the last Doozy's album, uh, Bruce McKinnon, come in. 
and uh, he is a jack of all trades, master of all trades. Like that guy, mm-hmm. just he comes in. We want him to play bluesy sax. He can do it. We want him to play like we had him do a church esque B three organ <laughs> sort of effect on one song, and it just came out spontaneously beautiful. Like he was winging it, and Bruce's yeah. instincts have always served him well, and. You know, this album was no exception. If I yeah. remember, we just told him, like, yeah, this this verse is about a funeral. Like, play it like churchy. He did, he did it, like, once. And yeah. we were like, that's perfect. That's it. And he's like, oh, I could maybe do it again. We're like, no. No. Stop. Yeah, don't put any Done. sewage in that wine. That wine is beautiful as it is. Leave it alone. <laughs> um, he also played drums on most of the album, which he is amazing. Did, yeah. That is true, yeah. So, yeah. For, for a guy to play keys and drums on the album is unbelievable. Yeah, but he also- did drums for most of the songs. He did piano on two, yeah. organ on two, and accordion on one. I'm and prepared to retire when he picks up the fiddle. Yeah. <laughs> we also had uh, Tim Watson um, from Tim Watson Band, who, if you were <laughs> oh, in is Oshawa, that where he's from? And Trish Robb as well, know, of course. And, and the Trish Robb trio and numerous other amazing Oshawa-based bands. Incredibly and talented. If musician. you're from Oshawa, you know Tim Watson, and we're, yeah. bl- we're absolutely blessed to have Tim sing. And as soon as you hear a track that Tim is singing on, you'll, you'll know, know it immediately. <laughs> and uh, the track is that much better for it. Yep. Sean and I tried to do some backup vocals. Yes. We did some. It's there. Oh, we, we poured a couple buckets of sweat into that yeah. attempt. Have you ever uh, listened to the song Shivers? That was like me and Sean holed up in a room for right. a week. Uh, yeah, like a week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, uh, yeah. For I like... Mean, a minute of recorded music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we were laughing about, is that we had spent an hour at one point, and we had accomplished 12 seconds. Yeah. And like, we were wow. like, wow, this is what this track is going to be like. Whereas <laughs> Tim Watson comes he, in. He did all the vocals for like five Like songs. an angel. <laughs> like an angel. For, yeah, he did five songs in like five hours. It was oh, he's, I, yeah. Anyways, yeah, he's insanely talented. I saw him uh, when I was a kid, high school kid. I remember him performing as part of like a... A progressive rock metal band at the dungeon when he was only like 18 yeah. still had pipes like an angel then and you could see why they wanted them as their lead singer then but he has certainly taken that very uh you know that sort of nugget of skill and he's made it better and bigger and better and bigger and now he's just he's a monster he's a powerhouse but uh yeah we were very humbled to be able to get him in on the project because he's he's a busy man in his own right so uh yeah the album definitely is stronger for it but uh man big thank you to tim very cool. Yeah, between Tim and Bruce, we had very capable help on this album. Also, uh, should mention Aaron Till, very last minute, was willing to come up and uh, assist me with the engineering process. Because with the way Chalet's set up, upstairs is the control room where you're recording, downstairs is the performance room. It's hard to be downstairs and upstairs at the same time, so I needed somebody upstairs to keep an eye on things for me, make sure all the levels were coming in properly, and also hit record, Yeah. set up a new take. <laughs> oh, he yeah. was pretty good for funny jokes across the microphone, too. If we botched something, he'd be the first one to just punch in on the mic through our headphones and be like, that wasn't very good. <laughs> you know, so Aaron Which is Till, also important. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> and we were all pretty lighthearted throughout that, and Aaron Till was no exception, and he was very much a part of the process with us, so it was nice just to have friendly faces and friendly attitudes everywhere we looked. So Yeah. Very cool. So we're going to hear another preview. It's uh, Hawksley Crane. Uh, Why don't you tell me uh, what's the story behind that song? Hawksley Crane is a uh, a fictional caricature of uh, an old man sitting uh, in uh, down on Simcoe Street, 
Branch number 43. And branch number 43 of the Royal Canadian Legion. Uh, he doesn't tip, and he is pretty... He's not a happy man when he doesn't get his beer on time. And uh, if you ask him about a story that should last five minutes, he talks for an hour, and you can never get away from him. He's just an old dick, basically. <laughs> Sounds like a character from Letterkenny. Yes. Well, the bartender calls him an asshole because he only tips a nickel on a beer. Yes, that's, that's it. it. Um, but uh, the, I think the most important part of the song is that uh, you don't need to be a great person to serve your country and provide people with uh, some pretty amazing freedoms that I'm sure a lot of the younger generation take for granted. And uh, I know I used to, and I try not to anymore, but I, I, it's a little tongue-in-cheek about uh, the younger generation taking a lot for granted that they shouldn't. Yeah. Very good. All right, so this is from the Doozy's new album, Shells. Hawksley Crane. Then at the Royal Canadian Legion, branch number 43. Well, the old fellas meetin' most each and every Sunday for Ukraine war stories. But only death can save you if you find yourself next to Hoxley Crane. The old man can talk you straight up to the moon and half the way back again. Probably wouldn't believe him if you told you, but he's gonna tell you anyways. But Oxley's feet were the first on the beach at Normandy on D-Day. He claims he spent a night with Hitler's wife, but not that he means to brag. But the ladies round here know better than that. He couldn't pick up an empty bag. But he shot down 14 fighter planes in 1945 say 13 Jewish orphans from a burning building barely made it out alive he put a real good beating on Benito Mussolini in a bar fight in old Milan he's the dead defiant woman eyes a Nazi killing firefighting Hoxley Crane A cheater, a rebel, and a hero of war. And the bartenders call him an asshole cause he only tips a nickel on a beer. But on the 11th of November, he gets everyone together to make sure we don't forget all the folks who never had a chance to come home tell stories of their own. Like shooting down 14 Japanese fighter planes in 1945 Say 13 Jewish orphan from a burning building and barely made it out alive He put a real good beating on beneath 
Mussolini in a bar fighting Nobleland. He's a death-defying woman as a Nazi killing firefighting Oxley Curry. Raining at the service and nobody knew who should get up and do the talking. Cause the fellow who spun the best bullshit was the fella laying in the coffin. Half of us are praying that we'll see him up in heaven, the other half will meet him in hell. But we still got around to reminiscing old stories that we come to know so. Fourteen Japanese Nakajima fighter planes in 1945. Say thirteen Jewish orphans from a burning building and barely made it out alive. He put a real good beating on Benito Mussolini in a bar fighting over land. He's the dead defying woman, as a Nazi killing firefighting Hoxley Welcome back. That was Hawksley Corrine from the Doozy's new album, Shells. To celebrate and promote their new album release, the Doozy's will be hosting a three-night event next week at Copper Works Brew Pub and Restaurant right in downtown Bowmanville at 7 Division Street. Back-to-back -back nightly shows on June 7th, 8th, and 9th. And from what I read, the CD release is not your regular bar bash. So tell our listeners a little of what they can expect at Copper Works next week. We have played pubs and three or four hour gigs for the most of our career, and we enjoy them thoroughly. Uh, we, we play a variety of our original songs uh, mixed in with covers. And this album features uh, performances both lyrically uh, instrumentally and uh, arrangements that we think can only be best served by actually sitting and focusing on the music. Um, so we wanted to create an environment which achieved that precisely. So uh, we're asking people to come out uh, early if they want to have dinner at the show, grab some drinks, listen to the album, and then and go the fuck home, basically. And, uh, <laughs> After they buy the album, of course. Yeah, if you want yeah. to, uh, if you think. <laughs> but uh, we want them to go home and, and think about what they've listened to and really uh, reflect on what this album is because we spent a lot of time thinking about the arrangements and uh, decisions that we... That we, we spent want. the better part of the last year mm -hmm. working on this album. Yeah. Between yeah. writing it, between recording it, mixing it, mastering it. I forgot adding all the uh, overdubs, be it percussion or background vocals. There was lots of deliberate decisions made in regard to this album. And I think we're all very proud of it. I, don't, I think I speak for all of us. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, it's a it's a unique way to do a yeah. CD release, and I like the idea. It's good. Yeah, it's it. Yeah. Uh, we we played lots of pub gigs, and uh, th- this isn't a this isn't a pub gig. People aren't just sitting around ordering another pint. We just want you to come in, listen to the record, and you know, go home to your family. Yeah, well, as Stuart sounds... McLean would say. Yeah, stock <laughs> up at the bar before we start playing, and sit yeah. down and listen. <laughs> well, it sounds good. I wish you guys all the best. It sounds like it's going to be a really great night of music. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. Our pleasure. And sharing a little preview of the new album. And uh, that's uh, a wrap for today, folks. So I'm just going to sign up. And this has been the Doozies on Indie Spot. Get your tickets for the CD release show at Copperworks in Bowmanville. Or contact the Doozies directly on Facebook, where you can buy tickets via email. A special thank you to Matt Wilson and Suspense Studios for supplying some of the equipment for today's podcast. Until next time, this is Indie Spot, where real music lives.